On this edition of Music Day, a verified hit, we'll discover what's the bleep all about. Speaking up and out on injustice, lyrical content, and artistic freedom with our special guest, M2Me, Gio Bivens, Yo-Yo, and T.T. Torres. We're going to tell you stuff people won't tell you. Real talk with experience. We talking business up in here. We're going to give the people what they want. That's what I'm talking about. Welcome to Music Day, a verified hit. I'm your host, Billy Johnson Jr. Today's topic is hot. What's the bleep all about? speaking up and out on injustice, lyrical content, and artistic freedom. We have an incredible panel today. First up, the legendary Entume, the West Coast queen of rap, Yo-Yo, RCA Records Senior VP, GM of Promotions, Gio Bivens, and all the way from New York, Hot 97's music director and radio personality, Ms. T.T. Therese. What's up, y'all? Yo. Thank you so much. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes. Very honored to be here with all you guys today. We have some great topics. A lot of things have been happening in the music business, and you guys are the perfect panel to get, get into this. But one thing that's impacting all of us right now is COVID-19. Uh, I definitely think for the music business, um, it definitely has had a, a real um, you know, impact on us, as it has it, the whole world. But I know for me, when I found out that South by Southwest was canceled, when I got that news, that like it made me really that made me really nervous. And so I would like to find out, like from you, how did you guys react? Um, how did you think you were going to be be impacted by this? And then we'll you know we'll we'll find out like uh, yeah what happened. But in two may let let's start with, let's start with you. When um, yeah COVID was coming down, quarantine and all these things. You know, as a musician, I know you've you know retired you know, from doing as much as you were doing in the past, but what was your initial thoughts in terms of what this uh, meant for you and the music business? Well, you know, uh, first and foremost, you know, for me personally, it was very, uh, very taxing because, you know, I had lost my father and we were having a, a, a huge uh, memorial for him at Lincoln Center, but it came on March 12th. So we had to cancel it. I also lost several friends you know, uh, due to COVID. So it wasn't a headline for me. It was like a personal, you know, uh, touching moment. You know, we had Wallace Rooney, the great trumpet player. I knew Winton's father, you know, uh, Marcellus. And, uh, uh, you know, that that's how it struck me. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm the old head here and, and uh, I'm exhibit A, you know, that that, that was my, my age group. So I lost about five uh, people that I knew, you know, and was close to. Yeah, so I'm that sorry. was the urgency that it touched in me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm definitely sorry for your for, for your losses. And um, what's interesting about what you said, and I don't have the stats on this, but when you look at how people are reacting, who wears masks, who doesn't wear masks, I kind of wonder um, what side of the fence people on. If they were personally impacted on it, does that have an impact on whether or not they believe that they should wear masks, et cetera? How did that affect, how does that affect you? Well, you know, that's like, should you wear a condom? That's just like a <laughs> conversation. We just happen to be under the quote unquote stewardship of an idiot. You know, uh, I, that, that's one of the problems. We have such double messaging. On one side, you have science telling you wear that mask. Then you have an idiot saying don't wear it. And as a result, we have not in this country been able to get a hold on it right. because it keeps resurging because everybody's not wearing a mask. Look what's happening in China, you know, and, and, and South Korea. They're partying now because the, the, the cases, uh, new cases are so low. Ours is exploding. I mean, right. you're talking about 170 people, man, dead. That's not just the ones suffering, I mean, dead. And we're still walking around talking about, I don't wear a mask because it impedes on my freedom. Right, okay, so I know that was a little- you, It's about you protecting the people that come around you. Okay, I know that's a little off of the music topic, but I mean, I thought I, I no, had to ask you. It's yeah, about rhythm, baby. I had to ask you. And so what about artistically and musically? How would you say you were um, impacted? Well, I've been retired, you know, for, for, for quite a while. I mean, the only project that I'm currently working on is uh, we're doing a, a, a project on our, our lead singer, a former lead singer, Tawatha Agee, whose voice is still spectacular. And so I'm... I'm mixing it with young producers 
And like I said, it's always important to know what you don't do. There's a new sound. Each generation brings a sound. But I still know how to produce uh, uh, vocals. And like I said, I put the cherry on the top. Oh my gosh, it's like you're... a mixture of the old and new. Yeah. You know, like uh, sometimes when you have all old people with no youth, <laughs> your glass is half empty. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, you yes. have all new people with no old people, glasses half full. Right now, we've got a half a glass of music. I love it. Love it. Come together to all the generations come together. Okay. You know you. stuff I don't know. I know mm. stuff you don't know. Together, we know it all. Yes, that's so dope. Um, Yo-Yo, I see you you're shaking your head. How were you? I've been watching you on Instagram. You have a very popular Instagram. And I know you have something going on on Wednesdays that you started since COVID. But before that, like you tour a lot, right? I know, I know you tour a lot. And so what, what was your first thought when you, you know, saw how COVID was impacting your career? I mean, for the, in the beginning, I was just thinking, okay, you know, the world is shut down before, um, you know, for a day I was, just prepared for a week or two weeks. I was just like, wow, you know, I, I get a chance to slow down and uh, rest a little bit. It wasn't until the second month that I just started getting anxiety, you know, automatically I just started thinking, okay, damn, what's next? I, finally, this is my second go around in music. Of course, I've been, you know, celebrating 30 years in hip hop. So for me to just, you know, be back out there and finally getting my feet wet back into this new industry, as he spoke about, you know, uh, and being able to um, influence some of these younger artists, I was just, I, I was scared. I was afraid. I didn't know what to do because, you know, being in the music my entire life and having side gigs and, and other things that I'm doing, but music just being really my foundation. I was, I was, I was, I had high anxiety. Right. And so you, how long ago is it that you launched this? Tell us about this thing you do on Wednesdays is, is definitely fitting for this conversation because I think it was in response to COVID and your work, you're giving young um, emerging artists an opportunity to, to be seen and heard. Yeah. Tell us about that and how that's been going. I mean, for me to quickly jump into something, just thinking, uh, I get a lot of emails, I get a lot of DMs and people asking me, um, to check them out, watch their YouTube. So I created a platform on West Coast Wednesdays where artists from everywhere could use my platform and showcase their talent. And it's been very successful and we give them the good, bad and the industry. And um, yeah, and so far so good. We've had poets, we've had, um, we've had legends come on and comment and give their, you know, and sing, you know, so it's been, it's been exciting. And so here's something that, you know, everyone can talk about, but in terms of some of the things that have emerged um, in COVID and one of the things like D-Nice's, um, you know, quarantine parties have been incredible there and the verses, you know, emerged out of that. And some of these things are just so dope. It's like, uh, you know, it's great that the creativity was triggered and these things that I expect to stay around, like, I don't think they're just, you know, something to do uh, in, in, in the mean, meantime, but do you feel that way with West Coast Wednesdays that you're going to continue that? You know, for a while, it was everything was Zoom. It was performing on Zoom. For me, it was really getting into this new media world where I had to get me a Zoom light. I had to, you know, figure out, you know, my prep time and, and figure, you know, get me a wall that I could sit in front of. Um, it was really preparing me for this new generation of things to come anyway. I mean, I, I was never tech, tech savvy. So yeah, I think it's, I think I will continue it. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, it's way too much. You know, it's, it, this commitment is just way too much in the middle of not knowing what's going on and having this anxiety in my belly. I was just like, oh God, help me. Like, you know, um, but I mean, some, some days, some people have got the worst of me. I mean, I told one artist one time, listen, are you focused? I don't see any music on your page. My mom said, my daughter said, mom, please don't go on there giving people <laughs> critique and you're frustrated. <laughs> hey, that's, that's what Auntie Yo-Yo does. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and, and then let's talk about, you know, from the, you know, the, the, the executive side. So Gio, um, it seemed like you're 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 doing okay working from home. How you know <laughs> how's this whole COVID shift been for been for you? I think is for what I do. I'm in promotion, and, and I think for a lot of people in the music business, it showed us that we really don't need all the big fixtures, the the office, the the boardroom. We can still accomplish everything, you know, on Zoom and apart because we all have separate functions. The music has never stopped, so 
you know, we're, we're putting out like more music, I think now than we were before, because now artists are, that's all they have to do is make records. And so we, we get a lot. Hey, let, uh, let, let's put that in context. Sorry to interrupt you. So we, we always hear um, that artists like trying to get them to deliver the music on time, you know, could be a problem. So has that improved uh, since COVID? Slightly, but yeah, it's it's much better because again, they're they're stuck in the studio, and once they got their creative process together and and, and found their their group, then it, it's been nonstop. Yeah, and and so uh, so even though for what you do, it hasn't had that much of a impact on how you function day to day. But have you been inspired? Um, has it, you know any of this inspired you in any way in, in terms of how you do your work? I think the parts that I do miss is going out to radio and seeing like TT and do, actually doing the in-person thing, like pitching your records and, and bringing the artists in to meet them in person. Cause there's nothing like that. When you take uh, the radio person to dinner with the programmer and then they, they strike a real connect, a real personal connection or something like that. You can't, you can't replace that on zoom, but yeah. we have learned that, look, we, we're working with what we have. And it's actually working. You can get to know somebody on Zoom, but again, it's not like being in person. But yeah, that's one of the things that we, we've just had to adjust to. I mean, our, all of our radio discussions are just on, on the computer now. Right. Yeah, I was talking to an artist about that, an emerging artist, very talented, and um, yeah, he didn't like that. You know, he's like, I don't like the Zoom meetings. You know, in person, it would be a different story. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that is a. So, is there? How have you guys de dealt with that? Like, how have you made it? You know, how have you made it more comfortable for the artist to? Because that's a very important part. You know, like well, we yeah. had a new artist last week. Her name is Leela Ik. Uh, she has a song called "I Spy" that we're working at radio. And she's a reggae artist. So what we did with her was we set up a Zoom party. We had about 75 programmers, but we sent them all uh, Jamaican food. So they would oh. figure out their local restaurant that served Jamaican food. And then we used DoorDash to send the food to them. Those who didn't want to do it that way, we had a company send them um, uh, uh, patties and cocoa bread. So, wow, wow. I mean, we try to create some kind of an environment that to make the artists comfortable. And, you know, everybody had their Jamaican food. So it was like a big party. We played for video so yeah that's that's you know. a br that's a brilliant idea so like all these zoom parties i get invited to i want some birthday cake so i want people <laughs> to send me or i'm gonna have to bring my own cake or something you know because it's just it's not the same well, we started serving lunch when some of our music <laughs> meetings i mean we just coordinated the lunches there they can eat while they're on the camera or eat you know but it's almost that's the closest we're gonna get yeah probably for quite some time yeah, I like it. And TT, hey TT. So you're in radio. So radio has just been so important throughout this transition because, like, you guys have essential workers. You know, you guys mm -hmm. have continued to do it. And so, um, but when it first hit, were you a little nervous? Or like, what's going to happen? Or to be honest with you, I it was a second thought for me. It was not on the forefront. Being in New York City. Obviously, we got hit drastically with, you know, many people who passed away and um, the virus did run rampant here. But at the beginning, when it was all happening, it was so secondary. I, I wasn't paying as much attention to it. Um, we were like in summer jam planning mode. We were about to announce. We were in execution mode. We were working on contracts. We were having our big board meetings, our vision meetings. So we were like knee deep into like, heavy work um and so when we got the call when our gm at the time called us into the conference room the department heads and was like hey i'm going to pull the trigger for nobody to um come into the office anymore you, you guys are going to have to transition to work from home is when it really hit me like oh my gosh this thing is like really real because when you're moving at a hundred miles per hour i guess you don't really pay attention unless it directly impacts you so it's almost like secondary and um you know for us um hot 97 in particular it wasn't really a hard transition for us because we already was moving light years ahead in the digital space in terms of where we wanted to take our brand and i think we understood the impact of digital and how 
you know, radio is now secondary and digital is now first. And so, you know, that's kind of how we treated our brand. And it's, it's a, such a unique brand. It's not your typical radio station brand. It's a, it's a really massive brand and it's like an international brand as well. Um, so the transition from home thing wasn't very hard for us to do. Like, like, you know, I broadcast my show with my microphone and my laptop and, and things of that nature. And quarantivity is something that is, um, you work on, for me, I work on in spurts, right? So like, I look at this like twofold where I was going a hundred miles per hour and I wasn't um, living. I wasn't enjoying the quality of life because I was going so fast. So there were a lot of things in my private life that I felt I was missing out on in terms of like being able to play tennis with my son at a decent hour at night, um, being able to have dinner every night and what that really means for a family um, getting in a good book. Um, I was missing out on so much of living life and quality of life because I was so consumed with everything else, you know, getting to the train, off the train, going into the building, doing this. Oh, I got a meeting, a dinner meeting. Oh, I got this to shoot. Oh, I got that to shoot. And, you know, you have the nannies and you have the helpers, but you're like, you're not as engaged. So now I feel like, um, although this was such a tragic thing that had happened and so many people lost their lives, it gave me a different perspective to life and what it truly means to live and to be present, to be present with your family and to be present with your friends and to put your phone down and to prioritize your life because we are in an industry where it's overly glamorized and, you know, the money comes in and the popularity comes in and that can jade what we all view life as. And what this virus has showed a lot of us is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter um, what, what you do or how many Birkin bags are in your closet. It doesn't matter. When, it's that, when it hits your door, it hits your door and there's nothing you can do about it. And so um, that's, that's what I appreciate from this. So when I call myself quarantivity, it's like there are things that I have been wanting to work on for many years, but I was so busy working on other things or the radio station brand that um, my brand had become secondary. So finally, I got my podcast off. Finally, I'm on my second book, which I'm four chapters in. Um, but I also pace myself now where I come back to it. Like right now, I want to be present in this moment and I'll get back to quarantivity in this moment Yeah, and being able to find that balance. I love it. There's so many things, but first I need like a cowbell or something for these moments. But you, you, you said something that's kind of on the, the key word, like Jada Pinkett's entanglement. I think we got one for this interview is the quarantivity, you know, like that. <laughs> Uh, that is, I, lo I love that. You know what I mean? It is a way, a way of being. That would be the definition. Locked up yeah. at home or something like that. I love that you coined that, right? That's you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm coining it. Quarantivity. Yeah, quarantivity. I, I totally loved it. But you know, with what you said, I relate to all of that. And actually, I've been um, sometimes been feeling kind of remorseful for the the comforting aspects that have happened as a result of quarantine and the things you talk about family and more time and that kind of thing. I do identify with that, but because of all, you know, all the deaths and all these kind of things, I feel bad because, you know, everything isn't horrible. Um, but, but I do think that some good has come out of, you know, come out of this as well. And to me, I want to go back to you. So um, as a veteran artist, who's, you know, been through so many stages of this, how did you feel to see the way that, um, you know, that people were responding today, the artists were using their music platforms to to express how, how they felt. Well, first of all, even before I answer that, I want to give a shout out to Yo-Yo. Uh, uh, you had mentioned New York Undercover. Her performance, I think it was with Terrence Howard, am I correct? It was incredible and I enjoyed scoring it, you know, and uh, I didn't get a chance to meet her. So I'm getting a chance like 30 something years later just to tell her what a great performance she did. Uh, in terms of the music, I always say this, society is a thermostat. It sets the temperature. Artists are the thermometers. We just reflect it. So what you saw in the streets is the reflection of what's happening. 
Uh, it took me back, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. You know, I came through the Black Power Movement. And uh, to see what has galvanized, well, it's been coming, but especially after the, the uh, assassination, wasn't this killing, it was assassination of George Floyd. What I found interesting was because of hip hop, it galvanized not just black kids, I saw young white kids, I saw young Asians, I saw young Hispanics. So uh, social movement always comes from, like I said, you know, the thermometer that we, uh, that we set as, as artists. And that's what time it is, you know. And uh, I, as an old head, I was just pleased to see it, man. It just warmed my heart. Yeah, my yeah. only concern is, it's not what you start, it's what you're able to continue. Don't let Can this I stuff just die interject? out. I, I, I just want to say to to piggyback off of that, I always feel like hip hop has done more for race relations in this country than anything else. Absolutely. And, and the reason why I say that is because it influenced generations of young kids. And it's hard to be, um, I always feel like racism is taught in your home, right? It's something that kids are taught, but it's really hard to be a racist when your favorite artist is a boogie. You know what I mean? Um, so I always feel like when I go to these concerts or when I look at Summer Jam or, you know, I'm in these places and I see all of these um, melting pots of, of cultures in, in one particular place, that makes me the one thing I'm proud most about in terms of hip hop is uniting many different people from many different backgrounds. Yeah, um, TT, how at the station, how do you feel, you talked about the digital presence being so important, but how uh, has the station taken a part in acknowledging what's going on? Um, well, you know, we, we talk about um, what's going on every day. We're super vocal. Um, each personality in, its, in their own way is super vocal about everything that's happening. So we're always shedding light on what is happening um, and when we had the big um, pause the music for a day, we took the um, whole entire playlist um, for 24 hours and just made it social conscious music. So you heard stuff from Fight the Power to Meek Mill, Other Side of America to Little Baby. And um, people were like texting me like, what's happening? You know, um, so it's about creating awareness and also understanding like what the energy you're putting and programming into the universe and what um, the people listening to the radio station demands and wants. And, uh, and it's about balance. You know, you had a lot of artists who put records out. Um, you had Trey Songs that put out a phenomenal record called How Many Times. You had Little Baby who put out um, Bigger Picture. Um, you had Meek Mill who put out Other Side of America. Um, you had uh, so many artists um, that, that put music out. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yo-Yo, are you? I'm sorry, Yo-Yo. Oh, sorry, Snoop did something too. Snoop, mm -hmm. uh, forget exactly what it was, but Snoop did something with, what was it, a Jamaican artist? Reggae artist? Really yeah, he, he might have, yeah. So you have a lot of artists who put out, you know, socially conscious music and use their voice and their art to deliver a message. And uh, one thing about hip hop that a lot of people tend to forget about is that hip hop has always been the voice of the voiceless, the voice of the people. I mean, whether you like what they're rapping about or not, um, some uh, artists really do talk about their real life experiences. And if you want that to stop, then you have to change the systemic racism in America that has created these environments that a lot of our people, brown and black people come from. So when people say, oh, hip hop is this or hip hop is that, well, let's look at these environments and these systems that have been in place for so many years that create this type of um, uh, oppression in this country. Um, so, you know, you just have to, when you're thinking about music and you're thinking about programming music, for me, I think about in it, I think about it as a piece of artwork and what kind of energy do you want to be or put out as a programmer? What are the people saying? Are you listening? You know, and because a programmer may not like a record or may not feel a record, 
that doesn't mean you shouldn't play it. It, it does. It just means that it may not be for you, but doesn't mean that it's not for the people that are listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to just like have a check and balance system in place. Yeah, I, I, I love I love that. And uh, so, Geo, I read this incredible article uh, on you from University of Pittsburgh. I'm not sure when this um, this interview was done, but it said the artists say what they want. Um, and I get the world to come take a listen. But to that point, I wanted to ask you about um, during this time and the social unrest and artists speaking, I mean, Alicia Keys, you know, for years, I mean, taking a, the stance with wearing makeup and that kind of thing, that was way before this, but, you know, artists have been expressing themselves the whole time. Um, but for, for you um, and your label, what, what, what was it like? Like, what was the initial reaction? Well, um, we got together with all the artists and, and, you know, some, you know, were immediately wanted to be involved and others were, you know, wanted to have some guidance on where, where they should go or what they should say. But, you know, the company, which, or the artists really, because the money comes from the, 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 the artists, you know, they put up a hundred million dollars, but the, uh, you know, uh, the company, a lot the black people, there's a, a a board within the company helping to direct the fund. So they, they put up money, but also I think we had several artists that, you know, did protest songs. We saw a huge resurgence in This Is America. We resurfaced that to radio as well as this song called Black by Buddy. Um, so, I mean, a lot of, I mean, like TT said, they played that record pretty much, I mean, about 30 times that day. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, went back and, and adjusted their programming. But, you know, I think we were still trying to keep our artists engaged in this because like Intume said, it's, it, you know, it's not, it, that's not, that's just the beginning. We got to keep this going, you mm-hmm. know? So it's starting with voting. We have a big voter campaign that all of our artists are trying to get involved in because we think that's the beginning of, of getting our, everyone's voice back and at least getting a better voice than we've had, you know, with, with this current administration. Yeah, that, that's, that's incredible. And, and Yo-Yo, um, when I see in the position that artists take, it makes me think about your career. And I remember earlier in your career when, um, you know, the Rodney King unrest happened. And I remember, if I'm correct, like seeing artists like yourself in LA that were doing reporting for maybe BET and MTV, like on camera, like in the streets, describing what, what was happening. And I thought that was a great way for the artists to be involved and to communicate with, uh, you know, to, to, to communicate with the, with the artists. You know, I, I'm, I'm always excited to see artists uh, step up, but more so than this time for me, seeing artists step up, because normally the artist is the filler the filler in saying things that other people don't want to say. We are normally, the news will bring us in or, you know, we would commentate on things that they didn't really want to speak about because they had to be, um, what is it, um, non-judgmental or stay, you know, at a, you know, um, not judge you decide. This time, seeing reporters, um, seeing uh, the directors who play the music, the heads, talk about, their uneasiness, their unjustness, you know, it felt really good to me because it, you know, the artists, I feel like sometimes the artists, we, we, we bite, we fight, we stand up, we speak out loud, we protest, but to hear those in position speak about it, to talk about, you know, being black in America, you know, telling their stories, how you know, hey, listen, it's not just this young kid over here who looks like a thug or listen to, to you know, hardcore gangster rap music. You know, this is not just his story. Listen, I get pulled over and here I am. So it was good for me to hear everyone. I mean, especially black men who really, who have been successful in life, tell their story out loud. For me, that was the best. I mean, listening to black men really speak out who are successful and have platforms was 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 really very very heartwarming and very needed and so i was very excited to see that i'm used to seeing the artists but to see people behind the music stand up was really um a bonus for me yeah that's that's awesome and um to me how would you say uh, the way that artists today have responded is different from other times that that's an excellent question and i would just like to first of all take us back i mean this didn't didn't start you know this year I mean, my, my parents, you know, I'm, six, I'm 73, so my parents were of the civil rights generation. 
And I call that the generation of social disobedience, you know, sit-ins, boycotts, and stuff like that. And there were songs that came out back there in the 60s. You had Nina Simone, Young, Gifted, and Black. You had uh, Curtis Mayfield, Keep On Pushing. Those were the songs that related to that. Move a little forward to the 60s, you got James Brown, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And I'm talking about, I'm coming through when there were tanks and machine guns in the street. The armies were in the streets. I mean, what we see now, that, that like the incident that happened, uh, what was that, out in, in Washington with Trump? In Washington. The, uh, but I'm talking about here in Newark, you had tanks driving down the streets. So, you know, the, the, the idea of the protest, what makes this so, so great, your generation is the generation of social information. Something happens, you get it in real time. And, uh, but this, this has been, you know, the struggle of our people, you know, forever. And I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic to see it. But, uh, you know, this has been the case for a while. And, it, and it's just now coming to the forefront. And right. again, goes back to what uh, everyone, everyone on the panel is saying. It's, it's the social awareness that now seems to have risen to a level where other ethnic groups are beginning to uh, accept you know, the realities of what we've been dealing with forever. Right, right, right. It's always yeah. been happening. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely had a, a profound impact on me because, like Yo-Yo said, watching the news and seeing all these things happen and seeing people call it out for being wrong, I just feel like I'm not used to that. You know, I'm not used to seeing so many people, you know, come um, and support us and, and be so vocal about it. So so I think, I think it's great. So I also... Um, Yo-Yo, what about you? Like, how do you feel like things are, are different um, with the, the way artists respond today and before? You know, I love it. I just like, like um, Matunde um, um, said, I just want them to keep going, to continue the journey. So, yeah, it's good now. And, you know, just don't jump on the hype. You know, a lot of people got out there. You know, a lot of people doing it just because. I just want it to continue. I mean, I've, we've always been doing it, like you said, since I've known it. But to see everyone from every generation say, oh, my God, to hear my dad crying to me saying this is not right. You know, he wants to do, you know, say something out loud. He wants to get on my, you know, he's a, a Vietnam vet. He wanted to get on my social media and talk and say you, something. You, yo, yo, you got your, you got Mama Mia on there. You got to get him on there. <laughs> I know, right? He wanted, you know, he wants to, he's, he's really, he has a respiratory problem. So he has okay. literally been in since March 12th. Oh come out since oh okay we'll be praying yep mm -hmm. but the crying i've never seen my dad cry to me you know and just so uneasy i mean you know talking to him on the phone and hearing him cry just like he just you know we fought for this country this country is ours you know you know he want you know just to hear that and i never had seen that not even in the rodney king situation you know but to see my dad cry out loud was um you know was just I wanted to see that. I want to see us all mad. I want to see my father upset, not crying, but you know, that's what I think it's going to take. So I was happy to see not just the artists, because like I said, you know, my, the people I flock around, I mean, you know, we live for a fight. So, <laughs> but to see, you know, to hear my dad say out loud, you know, he's just tired and he wants to speak out loud is what it's going to take, you know? Yes, definitely. And, and, and TT, so when you guys talked about 24 hours of socially conscious music from all the different decades, that just sounds phenomenal. Uh, so M2 may just list so many different songs and you listed some contemporary songs. Like what, you know, how, what would you say was the difference, you know, when listening to all these different songs back to back? Um, I, I don't know if I can say um, particularly what the difference was because I feel like each artist have a right to express their art how they want to express it. That's why they're artists. Um, so however they choose to express their art in their own unique way is their God-given right, in my opinion. Um, and that's part of why, you know, artists are artists. Um, for me, I don't really look to artists per se to be um the person that speaks for me can does that make sense like yes. or like i think sometimes we put so much pressure on artists that we negate the individual work that we need to do ourselves and as a community 
and we are super fixated with this celebrityism, and that's why we have a reality show guy as a president. Um, so I think the real work comes in with you, the people, the people in your community, us. Um, you know, yes, um, celebrities have platforms and they have voices and they have a responsibility to some degree, but I never looked for an entertainer or a rap artist to change my situation. That takes individual work. And so like, I kind of am like, if this artist chooses to express themselves through the rapping or painting or whatever, um, and it may look different than what it did in the 90s or, you know, in the 80s or, you know, before, um, it, then they have the right to do that. Um, so that's kind of how I view. I just view it from a different type of lens. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. So uh, in, in addition to all this going on, I mean, the world still turns. Um, people still want to have a good time party. There's two recent happenings, uh, Cardi B and Megan the Stallions WAP video, right? Uh, made headlines. People are talking about it. And this has happened also while uh, Kamala Harris is, has made history, you know, as the first woman of color on the major platform as um, vice president candidate. This has been an incredible year for women in hip hop. With the success of the WAP video, there's been a lot of backlash um, because of the lyrical content and for the video. How do you guys feel if women um, are held to a different standard? I guess you have mm -hmm. to ask yourself, like, what are you looking for Cardi B and Megan to do mm -hmm. for you personally? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, the reason why I never had an issue with the song or the video, um, because this is not the first time that somebody put out an explicit sexually enhanced song. I mean, you had Akinelli, which was on the radio, and he's talking about put it in your mouth. Yeah. You had Kaya, my neck, my back. You've had um, Slob on my arm. And da, na, 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 na. I think that was 3-6 Mafia that put out that record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Little Kim was absolutely the blueprint to um, embracing your sexuality and not giving a fuck, or excuse me, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but not giving a care in the world what people thought about her um, being embracing her sexuality and putting it out to the universe. What she did had generation is so influenced in 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 the female rap game generations now that that when you watch the WAP video, the opening statue is the little yeah. Kim hardcore <laughs> pose. Right. Um, men fantasized about little Kim and wanting to be with with little Kim, you know, so Trina had explicit lyrics on the radio. I mean, we can go on and on in days men have explicit lyrics on on records and videos the entire time. So when Cardi B and Megan drops a record, um, these are two women who have never shied away from their sexuality. So if this is the art that they want to create, I don't see a problem with it. If, if you don't like it, that's fine. That's your choice, your preference. Don't stream it, don't buy it. But why do we say they shouldn't do that when we allow other people to create art how they want to create it? And when you look at other genre of music, sex, rock and roll, and all the things that go on in their lyrics, we're not saying that those rock artists should be stifled in their creativity. Um, so... Am I looking for Megan or Cardi B um, to uh, put out a, a, a Beyonce Black is, is King um, album? No. Um, Monday they may wake up and want to do something on that level and want to have their creativity shift towards that way. But, but as artists, you have to give them their room to want to grow into that. You know, and so I just, I just, I mean, I personally don't understand the backlash. Um, and I get this question asked to me a lot. Um, and I just feel like artists are allowed to express themselves however they want to express themselves. And whatever repercussions or consequences that come with that, you have to eat that as an artist. You know what I mean? No, and I, so, I'm going to chime in if I can. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I feel the same way, especially being a, a woman artist. To me, you know, 
I get it. And it, it's always like a catch-22 with me because I work so heavy in the community. It's like a catch-22. And believe me, I said, when they know better, they'll do better. Um, but the kids are watching. And so, you know, and we really don't, we really don't grasp that. So when we say Black Lives Matter, when we talk about community, when we talk about it, these things we do have to take in consideration because we've been like the muscle of the community, the Rocky Balboas of our community. And it takes that type of person, not saying that that's their, their, their fight or something that they want to do. Um, so I, I can't wait for the genre to open itself up, for men to stop writing so much of the women's lyrics talking about um, what, uh, but can I ask you a question, Yo-Yo? So although she raps about, let's look at Cardi B for an example, right? Here's the paradigm. Although she raps about these things, she's also very, very vocal about political issues and oppression in black and brown communities and injustice that happens to black men on a daily basis. So do we dismiss, so, so my, my question is, do we dismiss that part of her because people are so hyper focused on the music and what she puts out like like no i just no 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 not i don't think you just miss her at all because i love her to be quite honest she is a true artist i love that how she you know i love who she is i i when i'm speaking i'm speaking community I'm speaking that it needs to be wider. When we were out, you had different looks, you had different hairstyles, you had different women saying different things. It just wasn't sex. So I think that's why the hype is such. And I'm the same way. When people ask me about the sex part, about the women, I do the same thing. I said, well, men can say it in own basketball teams. But can I ask you a question? Can you still be for your community and have sexual content? That's what, I guess that's what I, my question is because she is very, vocal about fighting for her community although she puts out a, a sexual content can she be both but I, absolutely she can you know she, i just want to hear yo-yo's okay. perspective because she's you know she's a, the og in the game and she's another female rapper and she does a lot of community work so i i'd love to have these conversations with like women like you because it, it just helps me to understand from a different perspective it's a catch-22, and it's always been that way. When I wanted to run for office, I, I would regret, regret some of the lyrics I made. I mean, that's why I said when they know better, they'll do better. That's why I love community of women, because women will help you grow. They'll help you get out of this box and help you see the community for what they, they'll see, you know, and it's easy to do it, and they'll grow out of it. I don't think that Cardi's going to, you know, Cardi can't, they can't do a walk 10 years from now. Nobody's going to even want to look at that walk. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> so I think they'll grow and they'll learn from it. And it, it is, it's a catch 22. Women have it harder. It's harder for us to um, feel um, empowered by talking about sexuality or talking about sex and music. I look at it as the more you know, the more you grow. Be working in the community and every young girl coming up to me saying, yo, yo, I spit. And then talking about her tits, her cat and her back is kind of whack to me. I'm just ready for the industry to open up a little uh, more. Well, Yo-Yo, well, you know, I know you have a story about uh, one of the turning points for you was like going to talk to a group of kids and having them recite some of your lyrics. Can you tell that story? Right. Well, I had, they used to ask me, journalists ask me all the time, do you feel you're, you're, you're a role model? I used to follow behind Public Enemy and Ice Cube and watch them do their interviews. And I say, no, it's not up to me to raise your kid. They have to raise themselves. And um, I mean, I went on saying that for so long, living this pretentious life, trying to be, you know, like I don't wear the, it's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility as a parent. And I had no idea how big music was. A little girl came up to me and started rapping some lyrics. And I said, oh no, you can't say that. And mm. it, a little four-year-old girl, and it wasn't until then that it hit me. And it, it doesn't hit everybody. I mean, the change doesn't come for everybody, but it came for me. And at that very moment, I went on to make the, the album Black Pearl. And, and trying to fit back into an industry where I was, I'm the type of girl that's down for my nigga, I ride for my, I peel a cap, you know, that girl into trying to say, oh, wait, I want to speak power. If music is this powerful, if we can't impact and do, but, and, and that's a catch because how can you do all of that? And that's been a part of my prayer, but it changed me. And, and it, I, I just think that's just for me, but I'm all for empowering, wop it out. <laughs> so, uh, Gio, that song, you know, it's not on our, our RCA song, but, um, well, yeah, what, 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 you know, what is your reaction to, you know, these moments of the backlash? Like, how, how do you, how do you feel about that artist? Well, 
it's really up to the artist. I've, I've promoted so and put so many male songs on the radio with similar content and nobody said a word to me, you know? So now a female says something from a female perspective. I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't have any trouble with it. I mean, it's up to her what she wants to say. You know, my job is to get it played. I, I, I'm not the gatekeeper. There are other gatekeepers who will push back. And if they do, you know, I just communicate that to them. But I think people have, males have been doing it for years. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, Luke, you know, a person that had probably one of the most explicit songs in the world, but now is also one of the biggest community people, you know, in, 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 in Miami right now. I mean, even Juicy probably was a little bit controversial in the, in the 80s. I mean, there were a lot of songs, like the Ohio Players covers were, like my mom used to see those in my room and wonder what I was doing, you know? So I think, you know, people, they have the right, social media has changed things. People are a little less sensitive to, you know, sexual things now. And, you know, I think women expressing what the, themselves the way they want to uh, is fine because men has, have done that for years. Radio hasn't pushed back on them. So I don't feel that they should push back on women either. Yeah, I, I, I do think, yeah, because every literally uh, almost 100% of the, the male rap songs, you know, it, are misogynistic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, that, we, that, that is just the, the case. And, and we've, you we've come to clip, accept it. When you hear the dirty version of the song, then you're like, oh my God, this is what they're really saying. But, you know, no one right. says a word when it's a male song. Yeah, but I would say in, in general, I would love to see a balance, you know, in terms of what, you know, what is getting the mass exposure to. And then, like we mentioned, you mentioned, um, This Is America. Like, to see how well that song did, a, polit a political song of that stature in, the, in this day and age. I know he, um, he was already a, a huge artist, but uh, that was great to see a song like that get that type of that type of attention. So I'm I'm definitely all for balance. But I also will say that at least with Cardi B, she is using her platform. Um, she talked did interviewed Joe Biden. Um, she interviewed uh, Bernie Sanders and talks about politics a lot. So at least it's a balance. And then also we all are multi-dimensional people. You know, like no one is just a you know one one thing so uh I, I think that i think that's fine um yo yo where did i hear you yeah no I, I think what both were saying is a fair you know and and you know if that's why i said it's always like a catch-22 this is just the 30 year old yo yo in the industry speaking but if i had to go to bat for women and talk about you know a fair exchange i would probably do the same thing i mean i'm not saying don't play it I'm just saying, like, I think, you know, there needs to be a broader spectrum. Um, when Lauren Hill came and changed the game, we were all so in love with that because so many people wanted to find that happy medium. And for me, I'm just saying, with no disrespect to the young, uh, fearless women who are shutting it down and, and, and making big moves, you know, with no disrespect to them, I just said, you know, just more... You know, because sex sells. I mean, you know, sex sells. And women, we have to remember, we are mothers of the earth. You know, the kids are watching. We are in some dire need times. And I just think, you know, to have a voice, and Cardi B is doing it, means a lot. Yeah, and, I, and I, as a parent, I have a 17-year-old daughter and son. Um, and, you know, I would not feel comfortable playing WAP, you know, with my kids, explicit version. And even at this age that they are, I mean, you know how I am in, in, in general, but even some of the, the male songs too, that are just anything that's sexually explicit, you know, I mean, I know you had to talk about these issues, but for me, that's not, you know, the way. So I, I definitely understand all the perspectives being shared. And in Tume, like, um, Juicy, you know, you, you were setting it off, man. Yeah, leave uh, me alone. Think, Go ahead. <laughs> you, you, you're you're, you're set, setting off. I think I mentioned before we started, like when I was back in school, man, that was one of the songs that it came on and the teachers had to go on the dance floor to dances and break the people up from doing freak. Uh, <laughs> to do Yeah, I, I, it's so funny. I, 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 I so enjoyed listening to the sisters because uh, to me, uh, the female point of view is much more impactful to me. I know how men think. It's more important to understand how sisters feel. Uh, well, to go back to Juicy, I remember I did a, a, a podcast with uh, Questlove, and he was telling me how his parents uh, disallowed him from be, even being able to play it in the house. Well, I'll give you a backdrop. Uh, at that time, 
we were actually sued by Wrigley Gum. Uh, <laughs> Epic Records refused to put the record out. I had to fight for them to release it. Now, risque is based on what time you're talking about. Right now, that ain't nothing. I mean, that right. lyric is nothing to, to, to <laughs> some of the stuff I hear today. But back then, to say you can lick me any, everywhere, it was like, it, it, like the whole world went nuts, you know? But uh, they weren't going to release it. I had to fight to get it released. And uh, because I told them at the record company, I said, none of y'all buy records. People buy records. So they finally relented and they released the record. They didn't release the record for regular airplay. They only put it on Quiet Storm. And after one week, I'll never forget this, they called me to the uh, 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 CBS building and they had me on the call with all the pro black program directors. And uh, they were saying, the one thing that was so ironic about that song, he said, from the first beat, people knew the song from the beat before a lyric or a chord was played. And uh, that's how it got its identity. But that, that lyric caused quite a, I mean, like, that's why I'm laughing, listening to the wow, that's, each generation takes it to the next step. But that lyric in Juicy, it was banned in a lot of households, black households. Mm -hmm. But, you know, reality is reality, it'll come through. What does that have to say about, especially with the label being hesitant, um, to put it out, it was put out, it did so well, you know, as we mentioned earlier, 37 years later, it's been sampled by so many artists. And so what that, um, what does that say, you know, about, about the music and your artist well, direct, artistic direction? You, yeah. Again, I'm coming from a completely different era. We didn't have that much black control. You know, you had, a, you had people over black music department, but they were really just puppets for the white boys. So, uh, it's like uh, we went against the grain. And to me, I never wrote music, you know, uh, for any reason other than if my people loved it. I didn't care about crossing over. I said some, a lot of people crossed over and couldn't get black, you know what I mean? <laughs> I wrote for black people. And if white people liked it, great. But I didn't write for them. And I, I, I never made an excuse for that. I said, Bruce Springsteen doesn't write for black people. The Rolling Stones don't write for black. But if black people come along, fine. And so uh, back then that was kind of radical. I said, no, my music comes from black people. My background is jazz. For five years, I stood next to Miles Davis. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Yes. You really understand, Miles Davis. And he instilled in me the understanding, you commit to what you play. And whoever likes it, likes it. If they don't, then they don't. And uh, that's how I've approached it. So black people emb embrace Juicy and a lot of white people who never said it. But, you know, they embraced it. Yeah. And I was just happy about that. I didn't care about it. I never wrote music for awards. I, for, I, I, wrote, I wrote music for rewards, the reward of if your people respect what you're doing. Right. I wanted to ask you, one of the foundation members, Tony Winger, worked with you at Epic back in the day. And so he remembers having a conversation with you about um, this conversation, the crossover. And he said what you said to him was really profound. And, uh, you know, the, it, was, it was something, it was a sentiment about, um, like, why does anyone need to, why is it considered a negative thing not to cross over? And can you um, describe oh, that? Oh, yes, sir. Well, you, you, you have to understand. Back then, I always felt, uh, it was a great book written by uh, uh, Nelson George called The Death of Rhythm and Blues. Remember, I'm talking to y'all like, y'all in color, when I came into music, it was black and white. You know what I mean? <laughs> we didn't have videos. If you didn't hear the record on the radio, it wasn't on. Now, you see what the record was about. You, you see the visual interpretation. So they were putting this on black artists. Everything had to cross over. And I say cross over from what to what, you know? But white people didn't have to cross over to us. So I think a lot of our music got watered down. And when the video came, I would look, I would see a lot of the black videos would have more white people in it than they had black people. I remember when we first did the video for You, Me, and He, which was a single that we had. And I remember I, I specifically requested a black production company. Unbeknownst to me, we walk into the set for the first club scene. They were like 85% white people in there and 15% black. I stopped the shoot. And they said, oh, it's going to cost? I said, I'll pay for it. I said, we'll come back tomorrow. I want it reversed. Back then, artists weren't doing that. They were just trying to get that. I said, that has to come naturally, man. You write for who you write for, man. And uh, maybe I don't know what, what, what it was that your friend uh, quoted about what I said, but I wasn't about that. I said, if we, if we packing 
a stadium or we packing a club, what are, what are white people gonna sit anyway? You know, selling out is selling out. They never put that onus on, on white artists. You gotta, you gotta reach a black <laughs> Right, right. Well, it is interesting. Well, I mean, when you go back and you look at all the, but it was different, right? So back, back in oh. the day when you took an Elvis or some, you know, artists who took a black artist song, it made it popular, but they weren't trying to reach the black audience. You know, they're, you know, capitalizing on that creativity. Look, look at the white like audience. Boom. Yeah, we yeah. Took every boom. hit that Little Richard did. <laughs> right. Only difference was we couldn't get on back then, we couldn't get on white stations, pop stations. So you had a white artist who would copy the black hit of Little Richard and sell it to white people. Yeah. He sold 4 million, Richard sold 200,000. But but we did have an instance uh, a few years ago where a lot of the, like at the American Music Awards, you know, a lot of white artists who sang R&B songs were winning the awards. So whether it was Ariana Grande and Robin Thicke, you know, things like that. And Justin Timberlake is someone who's done, you know, done well. And I feel like they have, with the producers that they've used, et cetera, you know, they have targeted um, sorry, the black well, audience. Look. I, I'm going to say this. Justin Bieber's whole uh, last album was, okay. it was an R&B uh, album. Yeah, Let's yeah. get that clear. Right, I, I just want to say part. this for, for, for our panel. I've always been in the persuasion, the real goal of the industry was to control black music without having to deal with black people. Mm. Okay? And by that, I mean, like, like you and Assistant Reference. It was like getting white artists to do R&B. You can't name me five black male R&B singers right now that are on but you can name me five white singers, and I'm not against, anybody can sing anybody's music, but they have, you can't name me five rock, black rock bands, can you? Because they won't sign black rock. Right. It's not that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, if you're gonna do that, make it a two-way street. They have dominated black music. It's hard to find, you know, besides like uh, Rihanna or uh, 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 Queen B, how many, how many you, you, you're talking about three or four artists but they have a million young white artists or Latino artists doing your music. I'm not against that. But where are we represented in quote unquote their kingdom? Right. After Jimi Hendrix, name me another black guitar player. Mm. After Living Color, name me another rock, black rock band. That's where it's unfair. You want R&B, but not for me. I mean, black people. Yeah, wow. Very powerful. We appreciate your perspective. Again, it's an honor to have you here today. And thank you guys. I really love the way this conversation has been going and all you guys just being so open for the conversation. Um, TT, I have another question for you. Considering the shifting media landscape, new platforms and streaming, um, you know, where do you see radio and the ecosystem for an artist's career? You were talking about the radio station in general. You guys pay a lot of attention to what's happening digitally and how you use that. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you see? Um, what do you see as a future? Radio really has to figure out how they're going to reinvent. Um, I often look at radio as secondary and look at the digital platforms that radio does offer as top tier because I think that's where the future is. Um, I think it's important for radio stations to also build inside of Apple Music and Spotify and build their playlisting in there and that's something like, you know, we're focused on a hot is how do we get our playlisting up in those areas where we're actually programming, not just a regular radio station um, playlist, but also we're in the Spotify's and we're in the Apple music and people's pulling up hot 97's playlist and it, and it can compete one day with the rap caviars and um, you know, the rap life and, and all of these um different uh, playlists that, that are really helping artists in the streaming world. Um, so I think, you know, I think as long as radio, you know, radio is free, it'll always be there, but it has to be what's next. You know, what what is that next big thing? How are you going to reinvent this? How are you going to expand this? And I think that you know, digital is where you have to go, like your YouTube channels. Like, what does your radio station YouTube channels look like? What does your radio station content looks like? Content is king. If you're not in that space, if you're not delivering top tier content, you're, you're going to fall by the wayside. These kids nowadays, they're on YouTube. Like, 
right. like crazy. <laughs> they don't even watch regular TV. They're on YouTube. Right. And so like, are you living in that space? Like when you think of like the biggest um, hip hop morning show, um, you know, when you think about the Breakfast Club and when you think about Ebro in the morning and you think about Funk Flex Freestyles, like they're garnering millions and millions of hits and subscriptions and subs are like crazy. So like, how are these radio stations building in this area in the YouTube space and, and all of these um, outlets that are out there because you're going to have to compete and what I noticed is that the pandemic kind of sped it up and radio is really taking a hit in the advertising world um, across the board. So like, what are you selling in those spaces? What are those apps that you're creating and developing? Like you have to really be an innovative thinker. You have to think about, think outside of the box. And when I talk to different on-air personalities all the time and they ask for advice and I'm like, you know, you have to look at your brand like a competitive brand. How are you competing? How is your brand, whether you do mornings in Wichita, Texas, or whether you, whatever, wherever you do your radio show at, how are you competing? How are you building that brand? How are you living in that space? And you have to treat your brand like a top tier brand and build it. And yeah. I think it's very important for, for radio to think outside the box. And trust me, I've been in radio pretty much my whole career. I don't think I had many other jobs other than radio. I mean, of course, I had like part-time jobs, you know, getting in. But this is all I know. And I look at radio now like this is going to be a dinosaur one day in terms of like traditional radio. And how are you thinking 10 years, five years, and with the pandemic, it sped it up. Like, how are you thinking long-term? Yeah, de definitely. Um, so, Gio, with, uh, at the label side, you've seen a shift, right? From been, you know, you predate uh, digital. So you've seen this come and it's, um, you know, definitely more of a priority. There are not as many huge um, digital platforms as there are radio stations across the nation but you know how is that looking um, how is that looking at, at the record company in terms of how much um, of a priority digital is with streaming and everything you know alongside what the commitments are to radio well streaming is number one I mean it starts there well we get we get the information and data streaming in order to get records on radio now like we prefer that the artists put the album out just let their audience with it, and then we choose the song based on streaming the most, what has the catch rate, meaning, you know, people are putting it in their collection and keep keeping it. So there's a lot of data that we use. I mean, yeah, you use your ears and your gut and you feel, but you combine that with the data. I agree with TD, like radio is in a tough spot because, you know, as the cars go, it's going to be very tough for radio. And this generation, like the 19-year-old, you know, uh, they didn't grow up, I mean, they grew up on apps. So, you know, they're, they're so used to getting in the car and putting on their playlist, they don't even think about the radio. So, unless um, radio reinvents, and, it, it reinvents itself and gets an app and, and allow you to carry it on your phone, <laughs> then it's going to be tough for you out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. So, okay, I feel pretty good. I think we covered a lot of a great ground for for Music Day, a verified hit brought to you by Living Legends Foundation Inc. Um, I appreciate all the panelists. I think you guys had incredible insight in terms of what we've been uh, seeing with COVID, uh, explicit lyrics and, and music, and, and just the state of the music industry today. Is there uh, any closing thoughts um, from anyone about any of the things we discussed today? Uh, thanks for having me. That thanks for, for allowing me to be here, especially with um, everybody on the zoom the triple og's on here geo what's up hey, yo. <laughs> yo yo what's going on tell ice cube i said what's up i don't know who reactivated ice cube but i'm living for his instagram and he is really doing it yeah i, I just love being in a conversation about music about today's um current events and to um have different perspectives and hear different perspectives so you know just that you know it's like having it inside inside scoop so i just i'm glad to be a part of it hearing you know everybody's perspective on everything well okay, awesome. my closing would be music is life and in life 
you either adjust to change or you change by change. And just like radio, music will also have to adjust. We're in a new world. It requires a new view and a new lens. That's awesome. Gio? My, yeah, I think as technology changes, you'll see the way people consume music change. And I don't know what's next. But streaming blew me away. I thought the CD was the last big creation. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, look, I love streaming because it does allow you to access everything. And kids can immediately get updated on and to May's music to anybody's music and it's right in their hand before you had to go to somebody's uh, CD collection. So I think it's more accessible. The business is going to grow. It's just going to change as technology changes and which is good, you know, so that's it for me. Thanks. Okay. Uh, beautiful. Lastly, for real, lastly, uh, how can people keep up with you? Can y'all, you know, share your social media or websites or whatever you would have? Mine is very simple. James M. Tume Live. That'll be Instagram and uh, Facebook. M. Tume is spelled M-T-U-M-E. Thank you. Yo-Yo. You can follow me on all streaming platforms. Download my new single, Out of Control. And you can, um, all my social media is Yo-Yo Fearless. And you can listen to me on uh, Cafe Mocha Radio. Awesome. Yep. Uh, T T T. Yeah. Mine is um, T T Torres. Three T's. O R R E Z. You guys can follow me on social media. All of it: Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Um, oh, um, Facebook. Yes, I'm not as active on Facebook, but I should be a little bit more active on it. TikTok. I just got a little TikTok page. Um, and of course, um, you can watch on YouTube, um, TT Torres on YouTube and, um, the I still love her podcast, which is on YouTube as well. You can watch the video on YouTube and, and the, um, audio on, um, Spotify and Apple music. So you guys can check that out. Okay. Well, thank you. I hope all the listeners really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, my name is Billy Johnson Jr. It's been a pleasure being your host. All right. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Thank what you. about Gio? Did I cut you off, Gio? Gio Bivens. I'm Gio only on Instagram. G-E-O-B-I-V-I-N-S. I'm just on Instagram. Thank you. Hey, sorry, Gio. You know that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> no, I, don't. <laughs> I don't post much anyway. So. Okay, yeah, thank you, Living Legends Foundation. Yeah, pleasure thank to meet you. Yeah, thank Music Day, a verified hit, is presented by the Living Legends Foundation, Inc. Real talk with experience. Please follow and share Music Day on Instagram at Living Legends Foundation and at Music Day Podcast on Twitter at The LLF Inc. Join us on Facebook, The Living Legends Foundation. Executive producers are Jacqueline Reinhardt, Mark Hill, Ken Johnson, and Pat Shields. Our associate producers are Shannon Henderson, Sheila Eldridge, Tony Winger, Vivian Scott Chew, and Varnell Johnson. Production by Mark Hill Creative. Talent booking Black Dot LLC. Theme music by Wendell Wellman for Star Maker Global. Interstitial music by William Reinhardt. And I'm your announcer, Jay Johnson.